Be still and know that God is here. Be still and know that God is here. Be still and know that God is here. In the name of the Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer. Amen. What do you get when you add four simple questions to four gospel stories to two global pandemics, systemic racism and COVID-19, and one long season of prolonged and disoriented separation? Kind of sounds like the start of a bad joke, doesn't it? But of course it's not. It's simply a shorthand description of where we find ourselves today. So let's recap where we have been the last two Sundays and then move on to our question for the gospel text today. Each of our four questions in this sermon series comes from Wayne Muller's book, How Then Shall We Live? And I am using them as a way to frame how we might think about who we are as followers of Christ as we continue to live in the world we find ourselves in today. And while there is so much going on around us, I am taking specific issue and interest to face into the rise and reality of the layers of neglect and denial about continued systemic racism and racial violence. With no illusion of fixing, but with every hope of exposing ignorance, collusion, and implicit bias, starting with my own, I intend to pray and work our way into a more justice-seeking and active posture and presence in the community at large. Maya Angelou says it best with these words, do the best you can until you know better, and then when you know better, do better. There is no doubt in my mind that is exactly what and why we are here today. I want all of us, all of us to know better and then do better. Two weeks ago, we began this series with the first question, who are we? Do you remember the 16th century Sufi mystic teaching we use to claim our identity as people who are sent out and then asked to wait until they are shown what to do? I used it to claim this as part of our identity as apostles. Maybe you too have memorized the words that I have tried to live my life by, go where you are sent. Wait until you are shown what to do. Do it with your whole self. Remain until you have done what you were sent to do. Walk away with empty hands. Then last week's question was, what do we love? Have you thought about what and who and how we love since then? What have you been paying attention to? Remember Wayne Muller's words? Attention is the physical manifestation of love. Whatever receives our time and attention becomes the center of gravity, the focus of our life. This is what we do with what we love. We allow it to become our center. We become what we love. Whatever we are giving our time and attention to day after day, this is the kind of person or community we will eventually become. And I suggested Mary Oliver's beautiful poem, Instructions for Living a Life, to help us remember this lesson. Pay attention, be astonished, tell about it. 
I ended suggesting that for too long, too many of us, including myself, have held our tongues, turned our heads, closed our eyes, and opted out of the conversation of racial injustice. That day needs to be done. We have work to do and a God that depends on our brave hearts. My charge to us last Sunday was to take Trappist monk Thomas Merton's vision from 1958 into our hearts, just as he stood on a busy urban street on a corner in Louisville, Kentucky, and imagined that all of us were truly one. We are also called to do the same, standing on the corner of our downtown urban ministry at Adams in Sinclair, if only in our minds for now. It is time to stand in the light, to proclaim what and who and how we love from the rooftops. We need not be afraid. And we may try, we may try to see us as God sees us, shining like the sun. So here we are today with our third question. How shall we live knowing we will die? And as we have been doing, I want to hold up this question next to the gospel passage assigned for today and see what we might discover together. We continue our reading from the 10th chapter of Matthew, picking up where we left off last week, finishing out Jesus's commissioning of his 12 apostles. It is a passage often used by preachers and theologians and biblical scholars to underscore the importance of hospitality. Three short verses beautifully describing what it might mean to extend God's love by welcoming others, including in the smallest of ways, offering a simple cup of water or welcoming a little one, a phrase commonly interpreted these days as a child but in first century Palestine was the descriptor for someone who was new to the faith. But both interpretations work because they emphasize extending welcome to someone who presents no advantage or reward to you. I have read these words for years and have heard that message and have let that message and those words shape much of who I strive to be, radically welcoming in every way possible. In fact, they have helped me answer our question for today. How then shall we live knowing we will die? From this perspective, the answer seems pretty simple and straightforward. Give all of what you have. Be open. Welcome all who cross our path. But here's the thing. As I read this passage and prayed on these words this week, I had one of those uh-oh moments. One of those times when I think I might have completely misunderstood what has been right in front of me in the text all along. And maybe that is because of how, or rather who I have been as I've read the text. Could it be that my implicit bias, my white prejudice, my unearned place of racial privilege has literally colored what I have read and heard and actually lived by all these years. Simply put, I realized that up until now, I have read this passage without giving a second thought to the first five words that Jesus says in this gospel text. Instead, I have simply jumped over them and appropriated his instructions as clear and compelling ways to live knowing I will die. 
And to be clear, I see the value and gift in living that way still today. But what are those five words? And what's the big deal? Jesus says, whoever welcomes you, welcomes me. Whoever welcomes you, welcomes me. You see, up until now, I have never thought of myself as the one who is being welcomed, but rather as the one standing on the threshold who is doing the welcoming. The one with the power, the agency, the privilege, the voice, the benign and benevolent disciple, making sure others feel welcome and wanted. And that hasn't been all bad, and that isn't all wrong, but it is from a place of assumed privilege. Wow. Today, maybe for the first time, I am wondering if I haven't missed a more profound teaching or a calling being issued by Jesus to his apostles and by extension to us. Who is Jesus talking to and what would they have heard? Think about it. Remember, these are his final instructions and he is giving them to these apostles. Already in the earlier reading of this same passage, we have heard all the warnings that will most li- they will most likely be rejected and taunted and dismissed as they try to proclaim the good news. They are not standing in the middle of anything. They have no privilege, no power, no assurance of even being heard. No, these were 12 faithful apostles standing on the margins, being told to remember there was a job that they had to do, and it was to learn to receive, to receive hospitality first, not to offer it. Jesus was well aware that these followers were standing on the edges of society, ready to offer Jesus' words and love, but first, they would need to receive a welcome, a cup of water, a meal, a roof over their head, a place to sleep. Do you see what I am wrestling with? What do we do with the power and privilege and place many of us are afforded, even unaware of most of the time? What do we do once we start paying attention? So for today, I can't even fake that I have a satisfactory answer. Instead, what I do have is a heart that continues to be broken open. As a member of this beloved faith community, I believe how we shall live knowing we will die must begin with reading and talking and listening and walking with and praying with brothers and sisters in new ways ways that bravely question our assumptions and places of privilege. Jesus's words can make us really uncomfortable at times. And whenever that happens, I think we are actually onto something. This new or different reading of this passage helps me realize I have unearned benefits afforded to me that Jesus's disciples knew nothing of perhaps not unlike the reality of many of my black brothers and sisters. So what if the tables were turned and I could see with new eyes? What do we need to give up or turn over or put down in order to level 
the very unfair playing field we live in right now? When and how might we be the ones needing to be welcomed, the ones needing help, the ones needing assistance? Where might we go and what could we do as a community to be the ones in the vulnerable and powerless positions and situations, open to receiving what is offered, trusting in God's love rather than relying on implicit or explicit power. You see, once my eyes have been opened and my heart heard these first five words in this different way, I couldn't unring that bell. Not once could I find a scriptural reference in which Jesus advocates for any of his disciples ever to have all the power and all the privilege. Nowhere. Go look. I dare you. Rather, he seems to be telling his followers again and again, you don't need to hold all of the cards in the deck. Just hold this one. It will be more than enough. The power you will have in your witness in the world will be in direct proportion to your ability to put down and break down any walls of separation. Learn to simply be received. That is a God thing. And if they had asked him our question for today, how shall we live knowing we will die? I suspect that Jesus might have used his first five words again to say something like this to his apostles. Whoever welcomes you welcomes me. Do what you need to do to get out of your own way. Resist the posture of living from the center of your own world. Trust that being welcomed will happen when you put yourself in the least likely of places. For right there, when you are truly welcomed, I will be there too. Finally, I want to end this morning with words that are not my own, but that capture more beautifully than I ever could my deepest prayer for us right now. They may sound familiar to some of you. They were written on a little sheet of paper that were tucked into a handwritten note sent to Kim and I this week by Trinity member Becky Roth. I suspect she included this in some of the other notes that she must have sent as we continue our ongoing card writing ministry. I implore you to listen well to these words and to take them into your heart as I will, helping me answer a little more clearly every day our question, how shall we live knowing we will die? COVID-19 and systemic racism two deadly pandemics facing us now. We can't change everything, but we can change how we will approach these things today, how we will approach each other today. This is our chance to define a new, more loving version of normal, a rare and sacred opportunity to discard what's broken and to embrace only what works for everyone, what makes life richer, what makes kids safer, what makes us truly, clearly Christ followers. It can begin with us. And yes, like pandemics, attitudes can spread. This time next year, how will we answer the question, what did we do? May it be so.